this time we'll look in our Bibles to Luke 11. And to give honor to our Lord who has given us his holy and infallible word, we'll stand as we read Luke 11, starting at verse 14. This is God's holy word, Luke eleven fourteen. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. Others, to test him, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For I say that I cast out demons, for you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and finding and not finding any. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Let's pray together. Thank you for this, your word. We pray that you would enable us to hear it and to observe it and to exalt Jesus as Lord and Savior, that we would receive him and believe upon him that you would save us from the wrath to come and that you would make us new creations in Christ. For we ask all these things in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know how many of you like superhero movies, but I think there's a, a reason why we might like such movies and I think it's grounded in the way God has made us. Especially for the people of God, we love to see good 
winning over evil. We love to see the righteous win and the evildoers put down. It's one of our deepest desires within our hearts, I, I believe, especially as the people of God. Another reason is that we long for the glorious return of Jesus Christ. When he comes in the clouds, surrounded by his myriads, that's his great numerous armies of angels, and when he comes, he returns, he will bring his own to himself, he will bring in his elect, the righteous will be condemned, he will judge the world, he will bring in a new heavens and a new earth. But when Jesus returns, we're longing to see the ultimate, almighty, eternal hero, more powerful than any hero you might see in any movie, Jesus our Lord. Jesus here gave us a glimpse of his eternal power in this text. He gave us a glimpse of his almighty authority in this text as he dwelt here below, as he clothed himself, the eternal Son of God, clothed himself and veiled his glory with human flesh. Now, um, before the coming of Christ, to a large degree, the nations were deceived. You remember before the coming of Jesus, the only people of God were in one little nation, Israel. The sons and descendants of Abraham, sons and daughters of Abraham, and the rest of this world was steeped in utter darkness until the coming of Christ. As we just celebrated this past Christmas, Jesus was born into this world to save the lost sheep of Israel, but not only the lost sheep of Israel. Keep your place in Luke 11, but if you look back at Luke 2.30, the amazing words of this elderly, godly man named Simeon, in Luke 2.30 and following, said these things concerning Jesus. Well, we'll pick it up a little bit earlier. Verse 28. Simeon says, Then he took him, that is Jesus, into his arms, and blessed God, and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The ministry of the Lord Jesus proved this. He healed many of various diseases and showing forth his miraculous power, but he also healed the servant of a Roman centurion. He cast out demons among many, but he also cast out demons among the Gennesaret, a pagan people. So he did his ministry not only for the sons of Israel, but also for those of foreign peoples. Jesus came to preach the gospel first to the Jews, to his own, but he also preached the gospel to the Samaritan woman at the well and to her whole city. So he preached the gospel to not only the kingdom and the sons of, of, uh, of Abraham, but also to those Gentiles during his life. As we, get, <coughs> excuse me, as we get into today's text, 
we'll see that Jesus Christ came into the world to overcome the evil one and his reign. We'll see this in two main points. Jesus came to overpower the devil. And secondly, Jesus warned those who rejected him. So let's look at this first main point. Jesus came to overpower the devil. This teaching comes in light of a a context of some unbelieving Jews making a blasphemous claim against Jesus. They claimed that Jesus was working by the power of Satan. Look at verses uh, 14 through 15. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. The crowd was rightfully amazed. I believe the signs and wonders that they had seen here had not been seen for a great time, a great many years. Uh, Many of them praised God for this mighty work of of God in, in doing this miracle. And if you look at other parts of the scriptures, when some of the common folk, not the, not the scribes, not the Pharisees, not the high priests, but when the common folk saw such miracles, it made them question, could this not truly be the Christ? Could this not truly be the Christ? In Luke eleven sixteen, it says here, others... To test him, we're demanding of him a sign from heaven. I don't know, but I don't know. Casting out a demon and curing a mute man of his, of his disability, I think, don't you think that's a sign from heaven? In a, a parallel passage in, in Matthew 9, we find out that those who are making this accusation that Jesus was casting out demons by the ruler of the demons came from the Pharisees. This was an accusation by the Pharisees, according to Matthew's Gospel. And I believe this was out of desperation. They saw the people going after Jesus. They saw people believing in Jesus. They saw people following Jesus. They saw the crowds going after Jesus. And they thought to themselves, well, we don't want to lose our place. Why should we lose our place as teachers in Israel and let it go to this man? So they were making whatever accusation possible to keep people from following Jesus. And they didn't want anything to jeopardize their position. Now, Jesus used some logical arguments here to refute what they were saying. Look at, look at the text. So this first argument was that it was illogical for Satan's kingdom to be di- divided against itself. Um, verses 17 through 18. Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. It's a good argument. If that was really the case, I mean, it it doesn't make sense. Why would... Satan want to divide up his kingdom by allowing other demons to give him power, uh, give men power to cast out demons. It's kind of preposterous. 
Another logical argument, he says that some of the Jews, he calls them your sons, some of the Jews were able to exercise demons. And he says this in verse 19. And if I, by Beelzebul, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. I, I do believe that there were some godly men in the history, in the recent history of Israel, who were able to exercise demons, and they did it because they were prayerful, godly men like Simeon, like Zacharias. They were godly, true believers, and God had accomplished in them the casting out of, of some demons. And he says that those, those who are really true believers who were able to do this, they will be judges against you because they were, I guess you can almost say they were God's people, right? But this last argument is the most magnificent. He says that the kingdom of God had truly come upon them. That's why Jesus performed these mighty, wonderful miracles. Look at verse 20. But if, now this if we know is to be sure and true, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Brothers and sisters, Jesus did cast out demons by the finger of God. Jesus healed the blind by the finger of God. Jesus raised the dead by the finger of God because his very fingers were the fingers of God. He was the God-man, God Almighty, who had come in the flesh, and the eternal Son who took on flesh. Jesus then moves on and gives an encouragement and I believe in this uh, illustration. He gives this encouraging illustration how he has overcome the devil. Look at verses 21 through 22. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. This strong man who's well-armed and who has armor and weapons and is guarding his house and his possessions, his plunder, he's guarding this plunder, that's the devil. The stronger one than he who comes in and plunders him is Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying in this text. He doesn't tell them that because he, he's fulfilling the words of the prophet Isaiah that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not truly hear and understand. But we understand that Jesus Christ is the true, almighty, strong, stronger than the strong man. And he's plundering his house. In Genesis twenty-two eighteen. God promised Abraham, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Galatians 3.16 points out that that seed is not plural but singular, speaking of Christ. That in the coming seed, Messiah, the nations would be blessed. And we're seeing the fruit of that in us. We're not of Jewish descent, but we're of the nations, aren't we? 
Satan, Satan, that serpent of old, has already been cast down. Let's turn to Revelation 12. Revelation 12. Starting in verse 7, we'll read through verse 11. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, the dragon and his angels waging war, and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And, it, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. Those who have overcome the evil one and overcome the world who do not are those who do not love their lives even when faced with death. They love the Christian faith more than life itself. And that was the testimony of those who were martyred, martyred for the faith. Um, skipping down to verse 17 of that uh, same chapter, it says, So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So, yes, yeah, Satan's cast down. And the kingdom of Christ has come, but he's still like a raging lion. The battle is won, but he's still having these skirmishes and trying to devour those whom he may get. The battle really was won at the cross. At the cross, Satan thought he was gaining victory by killing the eternal son. But he made the means in which God was going to gather in his chosen people through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, another passage in Revelation uh, 20, verse 2 and following, it talks about Satan no longer deceiving the nations any longer. He doesn't deceive the nations as he did once. That's why we have people throughout the world worshiping the God of glory through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, has the gospel done its full spread as it ought? No. There are many areas and regions of the world that still need to be reached for Christ. There are many unsaved people that still need to be reached for Christ. But he's no longer deceiving the nations as he did before. And I truly believe that the possessions or the plunder that the stronger than the strong man takes are the souls of men, women, and children from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Let's look at what Jesus did next in warning those who reject him. Verse 23, he says this, He who is not with me is against me. 
and he who does not gather with me scatters. Verse 23. There's a myth that one can be neutral regarding Jesus and the Christian faith that he gave us. Now, some might claim to be spiritual. They might claim, well, I believe that Jesus was a good teacher. Maybe they even claim that Jesus is God. But they don't really worship him. They kind of ride in the fence. You know, they, they don't want to commit themselves. But at the same time, they don't want to worship Jesus Christ as Lord. Uh, another example of, I guess, a, just a general deism is that people want to say, well, they love God and country. Or they might like to say, God bless America. And they might love saying that as much as they love apple pie. It's a good American thing. It, or it used to be a more of an American thing than it was. I think a lot of that is going by the wayside. But if you ask them if they love the Lord Jesus, there's no saving relationship there. Mere belief in God doesn't save a person. And even belief that Jesus is God or even believe that Jesus is a Savior doesn't save a person. A person is saved only when they personally confess their own sin and they confess Jesus Christ as their own Lord and Savior. Then God saves such a person. This verse also speaks against nominal Christians. A nominal Christian is one who's a Christian in name only. Maybe the they like calling themselves Christians as a, somewhat of a fire insurance for that day of judgment. But they don't worship Jesus. They're not committed to going to church at all. Now, my question is this. If, if you don't care about the body of Christ on earth, the church, do you really care about Jesus? Our Christian ancestors, they worshipped in the catacombs of Rome even when faced with the threat of torture and death, and they still went out and worshipped. Yet people in our society have the freedom of religion to go out and worship the God of glory, but they'd rather do some leisure at home. Such people are not truly with Jesus, and they have no true spiritual union with Jesus. And they're definitely not gathering people for Christ or with Christ, they're scattering abroad, as Jesus says. Jesus taught that merely being cleansed of a demon is not sufficient. Now, look at verses 24 through 26. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and not finding any, it says, I will return to my own house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first I thought about a modern example of maybe a person who's left a cult, like um, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, or maybe they left the cult of the Mormon faith, or the Mormon religion, the Mormon cult. Yet they don't 
find themselves in a relationship with God or in a relationship with a Bible-believing, teaching, preaching church. It's like they have a, a void that's left empty. Well, what's going to go in and fill it? Maybe some of the same of what they had before. You can't just leave a cult like that. You have to, you have to fill that void with true faith in Christ. And what about pop psychology? Or what about going to the psychologist? He, he, the psychologist teaches you things to maybe cast out some of those, that depression or that other stuff. But if you don't fill your heart with the true faith in God, something worse is going to come in. Jesus taught this in John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we, him and the father, will come to him and make our abode with him. You can't just have a demon cast out. You have to have the indwelling of God through the person and work of Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit. That passage does go on and later say that the, the helper, the Holy Spirit, was essential and is essential for the true believer. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit must be the ones that have that relationship with that person you can't just have an emptiness being freed from a demon. Jesus also warned us to have the right priority concerning our Christian walk. Look at verses 27 and 28. When Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. She was no doubt inspired by what Jesus was saying. But he, Jesus, said this, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Now for the Roman Catholics, if they had verse 27 in isolation, they would love this. I mean, the Catholic Church has made Mary a co-mediator with Christ. You could go to God through the Father, I mean through Jesus Christ. You can go to God the Father through Jesus Christ, or if you want, you can go to God through the mother of Jesus. She's a co-mediator. That's blasphemous. There's one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. And Jesus corrects this in verse 28. He says, But on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. I love this quote by Dr. William Hendrickson. He says this, he says, Mary's personal blessedness did not consist exclusively or even primarily in the fact that she had given birth to the Messiah, but in this, that she had listened carefully to the word of God and had surrendered herself to his will. Remember she said, Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord. May it be according to your word. She submitted to the word of the, the revealed word, to the revelation of God. And that's why she was truly blessed. Of course, she's blessed in bearing, having that one wonderful privilege of bearing the, the God-man. Jesus, brothers and sisters, came in the world to overcome, to overpower the devil and his kingdom. 
Jesus overcame him by a mighty hand because he is God. Now for those of you who long for Jesus to return as that great hero in his second coming, that will be a magnificent event. Still, you ought to long for that. But why not look at Jesus as the ultimate hero who has already come? The hero who bore the eternal wrath of the Father due for sinners such as you are, you and I. I don't know, that's pretty heroic, don't you think? Jesus, though, goes on to warn those who reject him, saying, those who are not with me are against me. Those who do not gather with me scatter. You can't be neutral concerning the Lord Jesus. You can't ride the fence and respect him as a person. You either need to accept him as Lord and Savior or not. You can't be between the the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of Christ. But the good news of the gospel is that our Father through Jesus Christ is making the kingdoms of this world the kingdoms of his Christ. Let's pray together. Help us, we pray, our glorious Lord, to truly be your disciples. Help us not to be Christians in name only, but help us to have a vibrant, living faith, a vibrant, living practice in our holy religion. Help us to be those who shine like stars in your kingdom. Work in us by your holy word and holy spirit that we would put sin to death and that you would enable us to give a reason for the hope that we have within us that we would gather together and help us not by our sin and compromise to scatter abroad. Help us to gather. Lord, bring into this church those who believe and love you and strengthen this body and help us to go out into a watching world Forgive us of our sins and work in us by your mighty grace that overpowering might that overpowered the evil one and help us in our Christian walk. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, we'll turn to 491. Jesus, the very thought of thee. Let's stand and sing. 491.